The strange writing on this clay brick is known as cuneiform. Now, this script was used for hundreds of years in ancient Mesopotamia. Here, international presenter Gary Webster and travel with him to ancient Babylon and the island of Patmos to discover how ancient mysteries reveal the future. We move on in the story to this session, the unsealed book we're looking at. This book when it's unsealed, all right, the one that's in the hand of Jesus. Now, it's about your life and my life in an ancient book we're going to discover this evening in our second session. Now, remember, John is there on the island of Patmos and he peers right into the very throne room of God And there in the hand of God, seated on the throne, is God with a book in his hand that's sealed. That's the picture we've been looking at the last two programs together. This scroll book sealed with seven seals. Now, you can appreciate what takes place when we go back now to Revelation 5. Watch what happens. An interesting uh, scene unfolds that helps us to understand the significance of this book. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And notice what it says next. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Think of it. Here's a book that nobody can open. Now watch what happens next. John, well, I should have put the text on the screen. Maybe I better read it for you. I must have left it off there. But let me just read what happens next. Notice what happens to John. John cries because nobody can open this scroll book. Let me read it to you here in Revelation chapter 5. And we're looking now at, uh, let me see. Right, verse 3 it says, No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll book or to look at it. We just read that. It says, So I wept much. I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look on it. Question, how long since you cried because you couldn't look inside a book? I don't think too many of us have sort of wept copiously because we couldn't peek into some book. In other words, this must be a vital scroll book that a prophet would cry because nobody can peek inside it. It must be a very important book. So what is this book? We've already seen the seals are broken. We sort of jumped the gun a bit. We went to the back page before we read the front page. But now we're going to the front. So what is this book that we now have the seals broken and now it can be unrolled at this point? Well, we need to go back to ancient Israel and Babylon. You may remember in our first program, we mentioned that the Babylonians made three raids against Jerusalem. They attacked the city in 605 BC. That's when Daniel was taken captive. They attacked it again in 597 BC, and then they destroyed it in 586 BC. So the Babylonians, this is the period that they're invading the land of Israel one uh, 
campaign after another. They're taking over the place. Now, Jeremiah the prophet is here in Jerusalem. It's around 600 BC. And he has a message from God that says, your cousin Hanamel is going to come to you and he's going to ask you to buy his field that's in a place called Anathoth. I want you to buy that field for your cousin. Jeremiah has just heard about this when sort of there's a knock on the door. And notice what it says here. Then just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, buy my field. So he's got this paddock of land and he needs to sell it because he's in financial distress, you see. That's the only reason you really sell land back in ancient times because land was everything to you in that, that culture. Buy my field since it is your right to redeem or to purchase it and to possess it and buy it for yourself. Now, let me explain something. You see, if you got between a rock and a hard place financially and you had to sell your land, the first person who had the first option to buy it was a nearest relative. And if the relative would buy your field, for your land from you, it would stay in the family, you see. So nobody could buy it, but first of all, the nearest relative could purchase it. And this is what Jeremiah is being told. Your cousin, he's going to ask you to redeem or to purchase it, to buy it himself. All right, let's read on. So I bought the field at Anathoth. Anathoth, by the way, is a place that the Babylonians have all got, got control of. So why would a prophet buy land that the enemy's got control of? We'll see in a moment. So I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. That's how much he's going to pay for this bit of land that belongs to his cousin. I signed, now watch what happens. I signed and sealed the deed and I had it witnessed, he says, and weighed out the silver on the scales. That's how they weighed out their money back those days. I took the deed of purchase that he'd signed and the sealed copy as well, he says, as the unsealed copy. So they had two copies of this title. He'd one sealed with their stamp on it and one not. The sealed copy as well as the unsealed copy and gave this deed to Barak, son of Neriah, the son of Marseah, that's the scribe of Jeremiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel, and of the witnesses who had signed the deed, and of all the Jews sitting in the courtyard of the guard. So what's the picture here? Jeremiah is going to buy a field that belongs to his cousin. He's going to redeem it to keep it in the family. He, going, he pays the money. He gets witnesses as he signs this deed, and so on, and seals one of the copies of this document. So what we're seeing here is this, this scroll here that Jeremiah has, this thing that he rolls up and seals, this is the title deed of something that's been purchased. That's what's taking place here. A title deed of the land belonging to his cousin Hanamel that he's purchased, he's signed it and he's had witnesses do the same thing. And then he's sealed one of those copies by tying string around it. Here, 
and here and here and then getting the seal and pushing the, the, some clay and pushing the seal in it. We talked about this the other evening in our exhibit for those of you who saw the exhibit. Now you just think for those of you who weren't in the exhibit, what would happen if a fire raced through the house and destroyed everything? What would it leave of that title deed? Just the clay baked, by the way. This is what scholars, archaeologists call a bulle. All right? That's the last bit that's left. The seal impression on the clay. The other has been destroyed in the fire. So these are what we call bullets. They are pieces of clay with the seal of whoever belongs to it pressed into it. Now, scholars have, archaeologists have discovered many of these today. In fact, right here in Jerusalem, uh, in, in, we, ha- we know where the Babylonians did some of the fighting against the Israelites. Right here, we see the house of the bullet. Why is it called the house of the bullet between these, these walls here? Because a whole lot of bullet were found among uh, in, in that house. And this is from the very time where the Babylonians attacked the Israelites back 586 BC and destroyed their city. Now, interestingly, we even have found the bullet belonging to Barak the scribe that we just read about who, who uh, did all this work for Jeremiah. And we had one of these, a replica on display the other evening. This is why you can see it's very significant. When archaeologists discover these things with biblical names on, what does it do? It says this book is for real. This book is the real deal. Somebody's not cooking up some guy and and saying things that they did, but they actually never did. These things happen. That's why we say the Bible is historically accurate. For those of you who didn't see that bullet, um, We've just filled you in a bit on the story. They found the bullet belonging to Hezekiah the king as well. They found the bullet belonging to Manasseh the king. Now Manasseh was a, a terrible guy. He, he burnt his children as human sacrifices, this king of Israel. He made blood flow in the streets of Jerusalem, you read in the Bible. And yet we found the bullet of that very king. Now God allowed the Babylonians to take that king captive to Babylon. And when he was down there in Babylon, he realized what a fool he'd been. He realized what a messed up life he had. And he turned to God and he said, God, help me. And God, in his amazing grace, forgave that king and brought him back to Israel. Don't tell me that God is not a God of long suffering and grace. And a guy like that. The Assyrians, those people who butchered people so terribly, God even loved them. He didn't want like what they did, but he did love their, the people. He did care about them, and that's why Jonah went down and preached to them, and they turned and became believers in God, those who lived in Nineveh at that particular time in their history. Now, there are two things that are needed for Jeremiah's nephew to get his property back, right? Two things must happen, as you can appreciate in this story, that we're helping to put together to understand Revelation. You see, because you cannot understand Revelation unless you go back to other parts of the Bible, because those are the, that's where we understand the seal, the symbols that are used in Revelation. They're actually stories from the Old Testament, stories from the New Testament, which if we read, we then can understand what John is saying. And this is one example of that. 
In fact, you know, my friends, this afternoon in the book of Revelation, there are many stories from the Old Testament in that book. You've got the story of Moses. You've got the story of the Babylonians. They're mentioned, the story of Elijah. They're woven through the book of Revelation. And that's why it's important to go back to other parts of the Bible to understand this book, which we can understand and you will understand pretty much by the time we're finished here in this series. So two things are needed. If Hanamel wants to get his property back, number one, Jeremiah must pay the redemption price because if someone else buys it, it might pass out of the family. And Jeremiah's paid the price we just read about. But the second thing he needs is what? He needs the Babylonians to be defeated or he doesn't matter how much money he pays for this property. If the Babylonians keep that are in control, he's not going to get it. So he needs two things, you see. He needs somebody to pay the money and his cousin Jeremiah did and he needs those Babylonians to be defeated. By the way, that's why God at this time, which is not really part of our story, that's why God had Jeremiah do this because he was trying to say to Israel, the Babylonians are going to destroy your city. They're going to wipe it out. But let me tell you, I will bring you back again. And what Jeremiah did here was an enacted prophecy to these people it showed that he believed God's word that God would restore them otherwise why would he buy the field notice what it says God says through Jeremiah men will buy fields for money sign deeds and seal them and take witnesses in the places around Jerusalem so you're not buying for nothing Jeremiah is saying for I will cause their captives to return I will cause them to return, says the Lord. You see, Israel was about to go into one of the greatest disasters of the Old Testament. And even though they're going there, God is making promises to them that he's going to bring them back. What a God, you see, who's in control of this universe, a merciful God, a gracious God. Though sometimes we wander far from him, he is merciful and kind. All right, now we can understand a little about what's going on in Revelation now, you see. This book that is sealed with seven seals is the title deed of something that has been purchased. That's what John is being, t- is being told here. These are the title deeds. So let's notice. One of the elders, he cries, we mentioned that. John cries copiously because he can't see the book. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, he says, the root of David, meaning the, the, the ancestor of David, the, sorry, the descendant of David, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals, he says. He's going to loose the seven seals. And I looked, he says, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures who are around the throne, he says, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He's talking about the Holy Spirit is associated with this lamb here. Then he came and he took the scroll. The lamb came, took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Could you believe it, my friends, this afternoon? In the midst of the throne of the universe, there is a lamb that has been slain. Heaven is a friendly place. That's why the Bible calls the throne of God the throne of grace, because right there 
is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the lion lamb could open the book and only the lion lamb could open the book. No one else. I guess the question then is how come? Why could the lion lamb open this book that's closed in the hand of the father on the throne? Well, let's look at the lamb bit first and then we'll come to the lion bit. It's got everything to do with this lamb idea. The lamb could open the book because, you see, the lamb paid the redemption price. Just as Jeremiah put the money on the table, so this lamb pays the price for these title deeds that are in the hand of of the Father. That's what's going on here. Now, when he had taken the scroll, when the Lamb took the scroll, 24 elders fell down before the Lamb and they sang a new song saying, You are worthy. Why is the Lamb worthy? Why is he able to take the scroll? You are worthy to take the scroll and to look, he says, and to open its seals. Why? For you were slain and have what? You have redeemed us to God by your blood, he says. Out men and women, humans in other words, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. God is a global lover. And you have made us, he says, kings and priests to our God and we will reign on the earth. What an amazing picture John sees now. He can see very clearly that the lamb has paid the price. Now you remember when we had our, what was it, second or third program in our series that we noticed Adam and Eve joined the devil in his rebellion against God. Our parents sold out and they joined this enemy of our soul in their rebellion against God. You remember that. We look to Revelation chapter 12, the middle point of the book of Revelation. And at that point, we lost everything as a human race. We lost our innocence. That's why the Bible says they realized they were naked for the first time. This is a, an idea for the fact that something's missing here. Our innocence was lost. Number two, we lost our peace. Now came contention and disharmony into that first home and ever since. We not only lost our peace, we lost our home. They had to be driven out of the Garden of Eden. Why? Because in the Garden of Eden there was another tree called the Tree of Life and God did not want human beings to be eternal sinners. So he withdrew, took them out of the Garden. And then the th last thing we lost was we lost our life, our eternal life. We lost everything when we joined this enemy in his rebellion against God as a human race. That's what took place back there in the Garden of Eden. We lost a lot. But right at that point, we noticed God promised a redeemer, somebody who would pay a price, somebody who would buy us, buy, put, uh, buy us at an enormous price. And after 4,000 years, we saw this Redeemer came. Promised way back to Adam and Eve, he finally came. Who was he? He was our nearest relative. 
our creator became our brother. That's the way the Bible put pictures Jesus. He is a brother to us as human race. The creator became a creature, even our brother, our nearest relative. Paul, Peter put it this way, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed or purchased to be set free, that is, with material things such as silver and gold, he says, from your vain or your useless way of living. And isn't that the case? I know I used to live a life that was really going nowhere. No peace of mind, no hope for the future, no joy, no great purpose in life. The Bible says vain living. God rescued us from that. He gave us hope and a peace and a future worth living for. He says, but we were purchased with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb who truly was foreordained before the foundation of the world. God could see what would happen and before we were even made, he had a plan to rescue the human race. What a God. Before the foundation of the world, but was revealed in the last times for you. So you see, this is the title deed of something that has been purchased. That's what this book is all about. Now you can understand why John wept, why he cried, because nobody could open this scroll book. Nobody could look inside. Why is he crying? Because no title deed open means no eternal destiny. You have to open that thing to claim what's yours. And nobody could open it except the one who put down the money, so to speak, who paid the price. That's why John wept, because no open book, no eternal destiny. Now you can understand why only the lamb could open the book, because the lamb paid the redemption price. That's what happened. He, as it were, signed the deeds with his blood. Just like Jeremiah signed the title deeds, he put down the money. As it is, Jesus signed this document, so to speak. It stands for something, our lost inheritance, and it was paid for with his own blood. That's what he's saying. Now we can understand the lamb. What about the lion? Why could the, why is it a lion lamb? Well, let's notice. In the Bible, the lion is a symbol for conquering king as well. Jesus is called the lion for a good reason, because he's a conqueror like the king of the jungle. The lion is called in, even in today. You will notice how it refers to Jesus at the beginning of the book of Revelation. And from Jesus, he says, Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, he died, but he rose again, never to die again, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. That's why he's called the king of the kings, the ruler of the kings, the king of kings. Unto him, it says, that loved us and freed us from our sins by his own blood. What an amazing picture as the book of Revelation starts with. One of the elders, notice, one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, a reference to Jesus, the king of kings, the root of David. He came in David's line, who was the king of Israel. 
That's why Jesus is called on the cross, the King of Israel, the King of the Jews. He said, I'm the King, but he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He says the root of David has what? He has conquered. He has triumphed to open the book and to break its seven seals. This is the picture. The lion part means Jesus was a conquering king, a king who won a great victory over the enemy. And we noticed in our previous program, when did Jesus win this great victory over the enemy? In as much then as the children, that's you and I, have partaken of flesh and blood. We are human beings. He himself, Jesus, the King of Kings, likewise shared in the same. He became a creature so that through death, so that he could die, so that he might what? He might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage, fear of death and destruction and so on. You see, Christ, as we mentioned before, he conquered Satan, the dragon. What did Jeremiah, what did Hanamel need to get his field back? Somebody must pay the price, Jeremiah did. The Babylonians must be defeated, and they were eventually by Cyrus. So Jesus, he put the money down, but he has conquered this enemy of every one of us. He defeated the dragon. You think about it, my friends, this afternoon. The king of the universe became one of us. What king is there today? What great political leader would do that for his people? The king who loved us enough to defeat Satan and redeem us by his own death. It's just an amazing picture. Now, I hope you can undersee, I can see this afternoon that the book of Revelation with its prophecies is not just about great events or history or something. No, at the center of that is this story of a God of love. And it's wrapped around this. That's why we cannot understand the book of Revelation unless we begin where we began last week with the story of God's love because that's how it's played out and we're going to see it even in greater emphasis as we move through. Yes, we're going to see what's taking place today. We're going to understand what's about to happen. But the backdrop is the story of a God of love. The God of love, the King of Kings, gave his life For you and me, that's when he conquered the enemy and that's when he paid the price for each one of us. So what is this book? The title deeds of something purchased. Let me tell you what it's called in the rest of Revelation and in the Bible. It's called the book of life. It's the Lamb's book of life. There's only one book in all of Revelation that the Lamb takes hold of, and that's found in chapter 5. That's why in the rest of Revelation, it's called the Lamb's book of life. What is the book of life? In other words, it's the title deeds to our lost inheritance. That's what it's about. It's portraying that idea that we have those title deeds to our lost inheritance if we belong to the Lamb. It's a record of all who have accepted Christ. You see, when you and I accept Christ, we become the witnesses. 
Like those people who, with Jeremiah, they signed to say that Jeremiah's paid the money. So we are witnesses to the grace of God when we accept Jesus because it's seen in our life. We see what a marvelous thing God has done for us, and other people begin to see the change in people's lives. We witness to the grace of God just by our life, let alone our words and our acts as well. So that's what it is. It's a record of those who have accepted Jesus Christ. Now, how do you get your name in this book of life? That's the critical question. Because if our name is not in that book, we don't get what that book stands for. Our lost inheritance, eternal life, a home restored to us, peace eternal, and all those marvelous things that God has prepared for us. How do we get our name in the book of life? It's very simple when you go to the Bible. Notice this amazing or beautiful verse that we have here. Jesus is speaking. I am the living bread, he says, which came down from heaven. If any man eats of this bread, meaning him, accepts him, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, my life, in other words, which I will give for the life of the world so the world can have life. That's how we get our name in this book of life. We accept the one who paid the price. That's how we get it. We accept Jesus Christ. We put our life in his hands. Even though we may have had a terrible past, we can come to him just as we are. And the moment we come to him, he accepts us as if we'd never done anything wrong. He counts us as his children and he gives us, we begin the life eternal. Now, there's something else we need to know. Names can be taken out of the book of life. That may surprise some people, but that's what the book of Revelation teaches us. Notice how it says these words in Revelation. If anyone shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life. Now, he's not just saying you change a word or two here. What he's meaning is what he says at the beginning of the revelation. Blessed is he who reads, who hears this prophecy and who follows what it says. When it says he who takes away from the words means they don't follow the words that this book talks about. Their name can be taken out of the book of life. It can be removed. So the question becomes now, of course, then, how do we keep our name in this book of life? How does that happen? It's just as simple as how it goes in. Notice how John tells us here in his gospel. Jesus is talking. He says, abide in my love. Stay in my friendship. How's that happen? He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this. Accept me. Your name goes in. Just keep following me and it stays in. Just keep with me. And how do you keep with me? You follow me. Follow me wherever I lead you in life. Do what I say and you will always stay in my book, my book of life. What a simple, beautiful picture that John gives us right there. In closing, I want to share with you a story that I think illustrates, in a sense, what it means and how we have Jesus Christ as our friend and the one who gives us hope for the future and a peace and a purpose in life. A young man went to war in Vietnam 
And they were in a fight that took place there. And during this fight, one of his friends was wounded on the battlefield there in Vietnam. And this young man went out to rescue him. He got out to where the, 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 his fellow soldier was. He, he put him on his back and was bringing him back toward the army base, the, the, the safety of, of the perimeters of this fight. And he was just about there when he re, a bullet got him and killed him. And the young man was able to be rescued because he was so close. But his friend who rescued him lost his life. Now, this young man who died... He and his father were great connoisseurs of art. They actually had one or two Rembrandts, would you believe, in their collection. Very rich people. And the father and the son used to like to look at their art that they had decorating their large house. And then, of course, the father got word that his only son had been killed in the fighting in Vietnam, and he was devastated. One day there was a knock on the door, And the young man who had been rescued turned up on his door with a great big parcel under his arm. And he said, sir, you don't know me, but I knew your son. Your son was the one who rescued me. I was wounded on the field and he came out to get me, but was killed in that rescue operation. Sir, I have a gift for you. And he gave it to the old man who opened it up. And there was a painting of his son. Now, it was no Rembrandt, but the father could see the eyes of his own son in that picture. He treasured that work of art, and he put it on the walls with the other great art that he had in his home. And he liked to look at the face of his son, especially the eyes. Well, of course, the old man, time went on and he died. In the estate, there was no heir left. So they called in, he had arranged that they would auction the property. And so the auction uh, day came and famous people, rich people from all around the place, they gathered to buy the art that these fellows had owned. And uh, there they were sitting in the, in the house waiting for the auction to begin, all really keyed up to, to buy the stuff. When the auctioneer said, now listen, before we uh, go to all of the great paintings today there's one painting that we have to deal with first it's the picture here and he held up the portrait of the son that that young man who'd been rescued had painted and there were boos and hisses among the people come on give us a break they said we didn't come for that stuff we came for the real stuff don't waste our time we we you know we're rich people we didn't come for that stuff he said no this was in the will of the man that we had to sell this picture first And they hissed and booed again. And so he started the auction. He said, who will give me some money for this? Nobody bid anything. And he said, please, we we need somebody to bid. Will will somebody give me some money? And up the back, an old man uh, raised his hand and he, he, he bid $20. Will anybody give me more than $20? Nobody would bid anything. And finally the man said, all right, sold to the gentleman up the back for $20. Good, they said. Let's get on with the show. He said, sorry, folks, show over. That's the finish of the auction. They said, what do you mean it's the finish of the auction? Well, in the man's will, he put in the will that whoever bought the picture of the son gets the lot of everything. The old man up the back owns the lot now, show over. You know, there's a good lesson for us in that. When you get the son of God, you get everything. That's what you get when you get Jesus. Jesus. 
You get everything that goes with Jesus. You get a life of peace. You get a life with a purpose and a meaning. You have a life that has a a focus with hope for the future. You have a life that really counts in this world and has eternity yet to come. That's what we get when we get Jesus. We get everything. I think we should pause this afternoon to just thank God for a prophecy like this that helps us to understand what God has done for every person on planet Earth and how he longs that we might all accept the Son. We are going to be moving tomorrow in our program, we're going to start pulling back the curtain even more and we are going to see in two great programs tomorrow, first of all, who is Israel today? What is going on in the Middle East and so on with concerning Israel? What does that have to do with the Bible? We're going to understand very clearly. By the way, it's Anzac Day coming up this weekend, of course, isn't it? I'm going to be taking you to Gallipoli tomorrow in our program as part of our first program. Then in that second program, we're going to go to an amazing prophecy that surfaces in Daniel, but John himself draws us back to that incredible prophecy. The greatest prophecy in all of the Bible is this one we're going to study tomorrow. You must not miss it. But let's pause this afternoon. I think we should thank God for a book that helps us to know exactly what's taking place, but more importantly, how we can be part of it. Let's bow together in prayer. Loving God, we thank you for the Bible, that it explains itself if we just take the time to go back and read its pages. Thank you above all that Jesus Christ loves us all and has paid an enormous price. And this book we can have our name in it if we accept this Jesus and if we follow this Christ. This afternoon, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. May today we make a decision to say, Lord, I want to put my life in the hand of this Jesus. Thank you that you accept us as we come to you just as we are, no matter what our past has been. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Ancient Mysteries with Pastor Gary Webster on Faith FM. Join us again same time next week to discover more ways in which the history of our world confirms the Bible and its messages of the past and future. Right around Australia, you're listening to Faith FM. Faith FM.